So that, that's one simple strategy, digital marketing, right? Especially for artists that are not in major music markets. So if you're not in the major town like LA, New York, uh, Nashville, Atlanta, or you know even Miami, or you're not close to those markets, digital marketing is gonna be one of your main tools you can utilize. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm excited to be here today with Matei Harangoza. He's the owner of Digital Science Media and Indie Artist Accelerator, a TEDx talk speaker, and specifically he focuses on helping artists to become successful entrepreneurs. And you know, entrepreneurship is a, a topic that I'm super passionate about. I think it's one of the most important life skills to develop, especially you know, if, you, if you live somewhere that you basically have the freedom to be able to provide value and kind of chart your own life. I think entrepreneurship is really what changes the world. So it's an awesome topic. Excited to geek out a little bit today. So Mate, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Michael, man, thank you for having me on. I appreciate that as well. So let's get into yeah. it. Start out with, I mean, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about your story. And for anyone that's listening to this right now who's never met you before, like, could you do a quick introduction about how you got started on, on this path? Sure. I moved to America when I was almost 12 years old as a young teenager. My father moved us here, me and my immediate family. Went to start a middle school here in the States, went to high school here, went to college for mechanical engineering. First, I went, you know, being entrepreneurial since I pretty much moved to the United States. I thought I wanted to do business. I took accounting 101. I was like, screw this. I never want to do any other business class again. Then I got into computer science engineering. That was a little bit boring, even though later on I taught myself how to develop websites and really get into the software development arena. But I went to school for mechanical engineering. I did drop out my fourth year, so I didn't finish. But I do, I'm very glad that I did go to college because I taught myself how to teach myself essentially. And I'm a big science nerd so you know statistics math uh is an engineering i think is what definitely helped me succeed in business so you know after college definitely wanted to start uh, a company so we got into a bunch of different things with my you know older business partner and we got into real estate first some tackling acquisition stuff in baltimore with rehabs and then into real estate and the economy crashed in 08 which put us into starting a company so that put us into energy efficiency after the market collapse, which was one of my most successful companies. We did energy audits uh, for commercial buildings, uh, residential, things like that. And during that time, we got that company from literally three 0% credit cards. It was me and two of, my, two of my partners to close to 60 employees for the company. And two years in a row, we did about five and a half million dollars in revenue, which at that point, taught me a lot about building a business and organization, building processes to scale, to be able to delegate. And when the money was good and when I had a lot more time to focus on whatever else I wanted to focus on, I wanted to get, I wouldn't say back into the music industry, but I always wanted to be in the music industry. A little funny story in high school, one of my side hustles, because I was the foreign kid and I wasn't a citizen, so I couldn't do anything stupid to get in trouble. I used to bootleg CDs and I was the first kid with like the one X burner and you know that, that would be my little side hustle so i, I used to do that too in middle school there you go so when like i said when i had a little bit more time to focus on other passions i got uh, into the music industry sort of 
with one foot in, one foot out. I, you know, was a hobbyist producer. I build a studio, which I just moved to a new commercial building. You can kind of see it behind me. We still got to put all the outboard gear in there. It's missing. But long story short, once I uh, built my studio, I was exposed to a ton of talent here in Maryland. I hired a few engineers who still work with me to this day that started bringing a bunch of artists through the studio. And since I was still focused on my other company, I also wanted to sort of create, you know, everybody wants to have a label. So I was like, let me get a label. But I actually invested about 30 to 40 grand with a buddy of mine out of Atlanta into a local artist, my artist, J-O-N, who's still with me to this day, still trying to look for investors at this point and take it to the next level. But through that experience, because I was sort of one foot in, one foot out, I knew the importance of how much marketing and promo go into getting a, you know, talented artists to the next level. I just didn't realize how bad we we're going to get scammed in the industry. So that 30 to 40 grand investment was pretty much learning what not to do, despite the fact that talent was there, especially being in the BNB area. This is definitely not a, uh, a music market from a music infrastructure standpoint. It's definitely a consumer market, but it's not like in New York City or LA or, you know, Nashville. But anyway, so through that learning, that got me all the way to 2016, 2017, where we had to sort of shut down the energy efficiency company. So I decided to sort of start this venture, which became Digital Science Media and the NDRs Accelerator. And I got into the music industry full time, sort of created a demand for what I was doing for myself, my artists, and a few other producers in the area. In terms of marketing, I just started putting everything online. The brand started growing. I started marketing more. And that led me to be in the music industry today. And as we shut down the energy efficiency company, because I was always the CTO of all my companies, I also remain in the software development industry. And I own a company called Codamon, which is about close to 50 employees that we have now where we build e-commerce platforms or maintain e-commerce platforms for companies. Some of our biggest clients are Victoria's Secret, Goodyear, probably the most recognizable companies that you would know of. But anyways, that's, that's how I got here. So I'm, half my time is spent on the software development company, which is an e-commerce, and half is in the music industry, which I think both, they merge together. Because in my opinion, in 2021 and beyond, and this is even back you know, as far as back as 2010, if you can't figure out as a musician how to succeed in the digital realm through streaming, selling merchandise, potentially, you know, launching platforms like Patreon or what have you, you know, just different ways of taking advantage of monetizing your brand, it's very difficult to become a, you know, musician that can live off your, off your brand. So I decided to stick in those two industries because I feel like they have a lot of convergence, essentially. Mm. Cool, man. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love, like you just said, the convergence of those two, those two industries. That's one thing. Yeah, I was, I was like the weird kid in high school that liked math. And so when it comes to things like you're talking about um, software development, and even like some of the things like spreadsheets and accounting and analytics like that, that I think that's awesome. I'm like, oh, this is cool. But one thing that we've been getting into with Modern Musician is building a software as a service and getting into the web development realm. And dude, I've just been like, my mind has been blown by the opportunities that are available in the software development world. Things like GitHub, where there's all this like collaborate, collaboration happening and people are just like at a different level of, of innovation. So I think that you're totally right that there's sort of this convergence between those two different those two, two different domains. And there's a big need, I think, in the music industry right now to have, like we're kind of behind in, in a lot of ways when it comes to, when it comes to like digital marketing and using software tools to be able to, you know, build a successful business as a musician. I think it's kind of crazy that Spotify, like we, we have relatively pretty little access to like the actual information that like comes from our subscriber base. And so I, th I think that 
there's a lot of really cool things in, in the software meets music world. So it sounds like you have you have a lot of experience now working with both like your own artists that you've invested into and then also with Indie Accelerator and working with a lot of different musicians. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that, that, you, that you've noticed that artists are kind of going through right now when it comes to reaching the next level in their music career? Really willing to accept the fact that the music business is made up of two words and more of a major word in that sentence or that the, the, those two words is business. Right, especially in the initial stages of a musician's career, I think it's, it's difficult to find the balance, but being able to focus on the business is absolute key. Maybe you may have to get that manager or partner up with somebody in the initial stages that would just live and breathe the business. But if you're the musician and you sort of have the music, music making or production or singing sort of mastered and it, it comes more naturally, more easier, then definitely focus on the business. Because I think that's where a lot of artists that's the reason they don't succeed. I've seen so much talent just come through my studio, so much talent that I work with, but because there's this organization within their team, they don't have the right investment or that they don't have the right you know, strategy they're willing to pursue uh, or the right sacrifices and not you know, treat it as a business. I think that's the, the biggest shortcoming of a, of a lot of artists. You know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think that it's not a, it's not a coincidence that you know, there's sort of this like starving artist mentality or there's sort of this, this, I don't know, stigma or kind of negative connotation around like selling out or focusing on the music, focusing on making money, like that sort of diminishing the creative outlet. And the fact that historically we have sort of struggled as musicians to really have like a thriving, sustainable business. So when it comes to, you know, focusing on the business or becoming you know, more sustainable, what are some of the biggest you know, kind of mindset blocks or mistakes that you see artists making when it comes to actually building a successful business side of it? So I think you sort of mentioned it just a second ago is the fact that, you know, artists are, they, they accept to be the starving artists, but they have, they're sort of, I don't want to say the word delusional. I feel like that's too strong. They're a little bit naive of thinking how it used to happen. And what they have to realize is that the music industry has evolved. That's actually what my TEDx talk is about. I try to sort of capsulate the, the history of the modern music industry from like the industrial age all the way today. Like how was the industry formed? Why is it a consumer centric industry? And you know, how do labels make money? But you know, the days of just being super talented and getting signed by a label uh, are sort of over. They're super rare. I'm not saying you cannot get signed, just be purely being super, super talented, but it has to be something very unique, you know, and yet, generally you have to be a young artist. That's what I've seen, you know, labels, like if they come across like a 13 year old, 14 year old kid, maybe 16, that's super talented, especially if they come from maybe some other like Nickelodeon show, things like that, they'll get a deal based on their talent, even though there's already leverage there because they have an audience. But like for anybody that's in their twenties, you gotta have to create your own buzz. So, you know, the question is how do you create the buzz? And I think musicians are trying to, they start to understand that, okay, that's key. But because I think they don't understand the mechanics of like supply and demand or business and don't understand what can be realistic, it's very easily to get bamboozled and scanned online and say, well, you just need to get your numbers up. So they don't understand the, the connection between what does it mean to get numbers up with real human beings following you and engaging with your brand. So that way later you can monetize your music through like merchandise or touring, as opposed to just getting the numbers, even in the perception-based, you know, marketing way and thinking somehow that's going to catch up. So I think like in my NDRs accelerator, basically what I teach from day one is sort of business one-on-one. I compare, how does a label compare to something like a McDonald's or like the Jordan, you know, sneaker brand 
they have distribution, they have marketing, they have production department, how do you produce a new product, how do you introduce it to the market and all of that. So the artist is like, ah, oh, okay, there's, you know, business one-on-one concepts are not that much different than the music industry. Yes, it's a different nuance, it's a different way to reach the consumer, but you still have to reach the consumer and reaching a fake consumer or just the numbers is not eventually gonna catch up to people realizing or thinking that you're dope and they're gonna follow you, right? So I think that's the, 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 the connection that the artists have to make between the business and, and the art is, is just that. And I don't know how else to, you know, really translate it to artists, except, you know, start learning just simple business because what I've seen, some of the musicians that I had a pleasure to work with, even at like the label level, they were sort of entrepreneurial to begin with. And anybody that has an entrepreneurial mindset and has succeeded in other areas and now is getting into music, and they may not be as talented as some like purely, you know, talented kid that's been like taking piano lessons his whole or his or her life. That entrepreneurial minded artist is going to accelerate a lot faster from what I've seen, period. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would, I would ask you, I mean, how do you think, what, what do you think it is that you're seeing with, with your clients and like your network? Where is there a disconnection between that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, dude. I think that the mindset of entrepreneurship in general is just like a success mindset. It's about providing value. It's about finding out like you know, how to serve at, at a higher level, finding out where, what's the need. And it's really about opportunity. So, so I think that that mindset as a musician is hugely beneficial and just in, in general as like a life mindset is, is really valuable. And in terms of, yeah, the, the challenges, I see that all the time as well. I think that that's one of the biggest mistakes is, you know, vanity metrics or, or focusing. Cause I mean, as a musician, it is, I don't know, it's, it's fragile a little bit. Like when you release a new song and you have like less than a thousand streams on Spotify, it feels like that reflects on, on who you are and your music and whether you're good enough. It feels like, you know, so there's this tendency to want to saturate that or to kind of pump it up with, you know, fake, fake followers, fake numbers. And like you said, like those don't ultimately like turn into real, real people, unless you actually have a the right foundation of finding out where do your people congregate and how do you actually connect with them and build relationships. So along those lines, what are some of the different strategies or different things that you see working right now in terms of identifying like who are the right people and where do they congregate, where do they hang out and actually like you're starting to build those relationships? Right. So I think digital marketing has provided us with a tool that is by far the cheapest way on this planet right now to figure out who your fan is just by running what I call small micro psychology experiments through running ads, bunch of variations. You put out a one minute snippet of your music, music video, on Facebook, Instagram, or any, pretty much any platform you can advertise on. And you just start, you know, putting in front of different audience groups with different targeting options. It's not a secret anymore. You know, you could even watch YouTube videos and teach you the basics of like Facebook ads marketing. And you start seeing how people engage, you know, and I think where artists have to put their business cap on a little bit is that when they do start getting sort of negative comments, it's like, take that as feedback. Okay, fine. So you're saying my lyrics are not that great, but the beat was tight. Okay. So maybe I need to improve on that. You know, take, that's the consumer feedback. Take that as feedback. So that's one simple strategy, digital marketing, right? Especially for artists that are not in major music markets. So if you're not in the major town like LA, New York, uh, Nashville, Atlanta, or, you know, even Miami, or you're not close to those markets, digital marketing is going to be one of your main tools you can utilize. You know, then the second thing is, is networking because connections still absolutely matter in the music industry. There's, uh, if you can develop the right connections, you can accelerate your career. So if you're running ads and going to a bunch of like conferences, 
you know, South by Southwest, the ASCAP, you know, conference, or, I mean, there's so many now these days you can go to, and there are also specific ones for producers and for artists and for vocalists and for writers. It's just a plethora of these things. Even during COVID, they just all moved online. Just seek those out. That's another thing. And the third thing is don't give up on the physical marketing aspect, the street teams. You know, I always like to give the example of, of the baby, right, in, in Charlotte, like, Yet he came up in the digital age, but one of the ways he took over his area, which people don't realize, is that they would put like, they were a little bit excessive. They would put six flyers on the same damn like light pole in the city. And they just hit the streets and they kind of knew where, you know, certain neighborhoods would have people that would listen to this type of music. And it's the same thing. It's like, understand your, your fan. What do they eat? What do they like? What do they wear? who they consider your influencer. These are all things that you can target by. But I feel like it's super, super, it's never been easier to figure out where you need to put your product in front of, you know, the people that like it. But I think where a lot of artists get caught up because this is where a lot of our clients, especially in the accelerator that we can fully support with our full services, get caught up is that when they get negative comments, they sort of like blame the game or they blame the, the, the Facebook algorithm and they just find an excuse and I try to teach them that the mindset change, right? Like, no, take that as feedback. This is good. Like imagine being an app developer and you put out your first app, you got a bunch of bugs, but you, you know, the, the, the users of the app tell you, oh man, this sucks, this wasn't good, this could have been way better. Okay, awesome. Right as an app developer, you will go right ahead and fix it mm. and do that. Yeah. So I'm not saying compromise your artistic expression. I'm not saying that at all. But do take the feedback from the consumers because sometimes artists get back at me and say, well, you're telling me to lose the whole, like the, the, the feeling of the art, right? This is where they, they think like the business compromise it. But like, no, you're not, you don't have to compromise your artistic expression at all, but just figure out which potential fans will like your music. And if they're giving you real feedback and you're not getting any other feedback that you really want anywhere else, then either hang it up or, you know, tweak your strategy. I think that's the thing. It's like, you know, what are the strategies on digital marketing? It's super easy in the physical sense. It's fairly easy as well. Go to, a, you know, if you sound like Taylor Swift, go to the next pop artist that comes through your town concert and hand out cars with your QR code on it to the crowd, you know, be, be respectful. Don't get into no trouble. Maybe have a Bluetooth speaker on you, you know, whatever. And then see if you get any responses Then check your you know QR code analytics account next day and see who scanned it. If your numbers went up, it's, you know, it's a simple thing, just like any business. If you were selling hot dogs out of a food truck, you would have to, you know, you wouldn't go to an empty street corner on like two highways cross and you're probably going in front of a commercial building where people are hungry. You may go in front of, I don't know, you know, a saturated populated area at lunchtime, right? So it's yeah. like that same concept is like use that to figure out where people listen to music, when, why, and target them, see if they like it. Once they like it, triple down on that same strategy, potentially keep, keep it moving. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's so, so on point. And like literally exactly what, what you just, those three things that you just shared are like the three main things that, that we talk about too is, is we call it like tour hacking, virtual tour hacking and hyper networking. But the idea was very, very similar. Like the way that our band got our start, was through following different tours around the country and actually walking up to the people in lines and introducing ourselves and sharing some clips of our songs. And we sold 24,000 CDs doing that in about six months. Okay. And because of that, one of the bands we were doing that on was uh, All Time Low, like one of our favorite bands, they had millions of fans and they gave us the opportunity to open for them on their next tour. 
So that's an incredible strategy. Like you just said, finding out where do people congregate, right? And, you know, where do they congregate? They go to live shows and that's where they're in the mode. Their, their brains are thinking about live shows. That's where the people actually buy tickets to go to live shows or hanging out. So it's like a, definitely a great place to connect with people. Digital marketing too, like it's amazing <laughs> the tools that we have access to right now with, you know, to be able to run ads and create look like audiences based on your most engaged fans. Super cool. Hyper networking is always just like, that's yeah. been a common thing forever, right? It's just like connecting with other, finding out who has fans who would like your music too and partnering with them, collaborating, going on tour together, writing songs together, releasing, you know, video together. So I think that's all totally on point. And, and also I love the, you know, how you focus as well on, all of us as artists, I think like our music can feel really, you know, tender to us or it's very personal. You know, it's like, it's sometimes it feels like the music is, is us, it's who we are. And so if someone, you know, dislikes it or someone you know, says that they didn't like part of it, then they're like, oh, that's, they don't like me. <laughs> like that's, and I think it does take a certain amount of like a superpower to almost kind of detach from that and be like, okay, the music is, is an extension of me, but it's not really who I, who I am. Right. And you know, it's kind of like chipping like an ice block, right? So it's not like you're trying to pretend you're someone that you're not, but you're just using that feedback to sort of chip away at your ice block so you can mold it into, you know, this beautiful creation based on that feedback. No, that's, that's very well said, you know, absolutely. And if I may, I want to give uh, um, your viewers a strategy that they could use or any artist listening, because I've actually been, done this multiple times now in, in our region, took little like baggies, you know, that I guess you would put like an eighth of weed in, right? I, I don't know. I want to make it about drugs, but basically, to day, then we put um, a regular business card size, something like this big in there with a $1 bill. And the business card was basically my artist with a QR code on the back, just like this thing is. And we walked around the mall multiple times in our, you know, Randall Mills Mall in Maryland is one of the biggest malls actually in the country. So we just uh, hit the mall on the weekend. I would walk up to, you know, he's an R&B and like rap artist, kind of like a Drake. So I would walk up to, you know, girls randomly and say, hey, look, my name is Matei. I'm a local, you know, label owner. My artist is walking around here somewhere. You probably see him, but look, I would love you guys support. My artist just put out a super dope song. We just put out on Friday. And I'm going to give you a dollar right now if you purchase it on iTunes or Google Play. And here, here it is, you know, kind of make conversation. Well, what, what was interesting that turned out is that a lot of, youngins don't even have iTunes. Like they don't purchase the 99 cents. So this was like two years ago. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm still going to give you the dollar, but in front of you, I want you to scan this QR code. And I want you to follow my artists on Spotify and Apple music. So we did this for two days in a row during the weekend. We triggered the Apple music algorithm, right? I got on like a Apple music radio station. I forgot which one. We definitely got a ton of followers on Spotify. And if you just do this over and over and over again, like that's a, a super easy way to really get some people engaged, right? And then what you ask yourself is like, all right, so if it, how much did it cost us to walk around for four to five hours a day, have to buy lunch, drive to the mall, the gas money and all that, you know, let's say it costs us $100, $150, then you can ask yourself, well, for $150, can I create a targeted ad and reach even more people in the same area with just my music video? And can I get a better engagement, right? And now you start thinking like a business person and you start tossing both, you know, the two different strategies together, but you know, it's, it's like, it can't be any easier, but I, I agree. It's like, you have to have that tenacity or audacity really to get out there and do it. Right. And I'm not even the, the artist. I do produce music. So I understand what it's like to sort of be sensitive about your music and art, but it's like, at some point you just have to get it out there and, and trial and error and, and see what you know people feel about it. Yeah. That's, that's so good too. I mean, even just through you just sharing 
you know, like what you would say when you walked up to people, that's something that's, that's crafted, you know, like, I think that that's one thing that shouldn't be undervalued is, is the, w- the learnings that you're going to get through communicating, like you're by going up and talking to people, actually having real conversations with people and learning how to pitch yourself and pitch your music just through real organic back and forth. So that's awesome. And I love that strategy too. Like actually the <laughs> dollar, dollar bill wrapped around it. And I mean, yeah, just even thinking about it, like a digital marketing campaign, right? If you're, if you're able to acquire leads for a dollar or less, especially if you're smart about, you know, kind of what you have on the back end. So you're making more than a dollar back per person that joins your email list, for example, then that's like a hugely cost-effective strategy to hand out a dollar bill and get someone to actually join your community joint and follow you and, you know, and potentially purchase something down the line. I bet you could even do some really cool things with retargeting where, you know, if if you gave someone the QR code, they went to your website, they opted in, then you also could have that retargeting audience that just like goes to everyone that you met in person. <laughs> so you could literally just have these ads that, you know, every single person that met you in person, now they're scrolling through the, their newsfeed on Instagram or Facebook. And then, hey, look who it is. It's you again a couple of days later. And it's your music video that has hundreds of thousands of views. And they're like, wow, that's super cool. I met that guy. Really, really cool. Yeah, you pixel that and they're all in your area. And guess what? Then to do your first show, you just retarget all of them. Hopefully you can convert 5% of those people. They like your music. And you fill up a small venue of 50 to 75 people. It's a great first successful you know, thing. Even if you got to pay to get them in there for free. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast so I can tell you about a free special offer that we're doing right now exclusively for our podcast listeners. So if you get a ton of value from the show, but you want to take your music career to the next level, connect with a community of driven musicians and connect with the music mentors directly that we have on this podcast, or if you just want to know the best way to market your music and grow an audience right now, then this is going to be perfect for you. So right now we're offering a free two-week trial to our music mentor coaching program. And if you sign up in the show notes below, you're going to get access to our entire music mentor content vault for free. The vault's organized into four different content pillars. The first being the music, then the artist, the fans, and last but not least, the business. When you sign up, you'll unlock our best in-depth masterclasses from a network of world-class musicians and industry experts on the most cutting-edge strategies right now for growing your music business. On top of that, you'll get access to our weekly live masterminds where our highest level modern musician coaches teach you exactly what they're doing to make an income and an impact with their music. Then once a month, we're gonna have our Music Mentor Spotlight Series. And that's where we're going to bring on some of the world's biggest and best artist coaches and successful musicians to teach you what's working right now. And one of the most amazing parts is that you can get your questions answered live by these top-level music mentors. So a lot of the people that you hear right here on the podcast are there live interacting with you personally. So imagine being able to connect with them directly. On top of all that, you'll get access to our private music mentor community. And this is definitely one of my favorite parts of Music Mentor and, and maybe the most valuable is that you're gonna have this, this community where you can network with other artists and link up, collaborate, ask questions, get support, and discuss everything related to your music career. So if you're curious and you wanna take advantage of the free trial, then go click on the link in the show notes right now and you can sign up for free. Uh, from there, you can check out all of the amazing content, uh, connect with the community, and sign up for the live masterclasses that happen every week. This is a gift for listening to our podcast for the show. Um, so don't miss it out. Go sign up for free now and uh, let's get back to our interview. Man, that is just like a value value nugget that they just dropped. I think that that's, that strategy alone, like that could could easily be like a ten thousand dollar you know strategy for people to to actually go and, and implement that and to sell out a show. Um, in their local area, a good kind of like a good domino, a good domino to get started with at least. 
So, man, I mean, that was so good. I wonder, do you, do you happen to have anything else that comes to mind just in terms of like little, like, like cool uh, strategies or tactics like that you found that are working or I'm also, I mean, I'm always, always happy to kind of geek out on some of the more of the fundamentals and stuff too, but that, that was super cool. Yeah. You know, like we approach every, so, you know, the MDRs accelerator uh, program that I have, is sort of like a community where I do live Q and A's and live classes. And it was a way to offer something to independent mu musicians or artists that can't afford a full-fledged digital marketing services. But the class that we have, including labels that do our digital marketing services, we kind of do a step-by-step. -step. If the artist is brand new, we sort of you know test a bunch of songs, figure out the best performing product, and then we scale the hell out of that. We continue to run ads on that to accumulate as much high quality engagement as possible for the lowest cost in a particular region. You know, and we we try not to, a lot of artists get bamboozled by marketers because they get them numbers, but they market to like India and other countries because it's like 10 times cheaper, but come on, you're trying to make your business here because you, you're not going to be able to tour, right? But what we do is eventually when we market for a while, depends on the marketing budget, we've uh, pixeled enough people through the ads where we start retargeting with different ways of maybe getting their phone numbers, email addresses. Once we have that, then we're able to have our clients do pop-ups, through sending out text messages to their, you know, through their different apps that we put them on, they can get people. When you say, uh, when you say pop-ups, uh, do you mean like pop-up shows or what exactly? Pop-up shows or even things like, you know, uh, hey, I'm going to be at Starbucks uh, on this date in this city. If you have enough fans, signing autographs and just like chilling with my fans. Cool. You know, but yeah, pop-up show, we haven't, we, we've done the pop-ups for the autograph signing or otherwise we would retarget for ticket sales through Eventbrite or it's much difficult, more difficult if a venue won't let you get in the back end of their website because then you can't pixel it as much, you know, a little bit more difficult to target and optimize for the conversion of the tickets. But it's sort of, it's like a company growth. I look at every artist like a small enterprise. Again, go, because I had so much success in entrepreneurship, I look at them like a food truck. Like, what, what do you need to get to get, you know, to get going as a food truck? In Maryland, you need a license. You're going to have to get the, the truck itself. You're probably going to have to get your first employee and cover their salary for the first three months. Right, you're gonna to have to find the right location. Make sure you don't get kicked out by cops and all of that. It's the same thing for the artists. We sit down with their team. Usually, you know, 80% of our clients will have already a manager and investor on board, and we sort of try to map out a three to six month plan. And what I always tell our clients is like, I'm trying to get you in a position of making real revenue as soon as possible, right? But they have to have realistic expectations because we're not talking an investment of five to sometimes even ten thousand dollars. Like it's way more than that, but it's realistic if you work with people that know what they're doing especially if the music works, you know? So it's all about, put it this way, this is not even a trick or a secret, but like anything I do for our clients online, I want to make sure it's recorded somewhere, AKA using a pixel or some type of a, a capturing landing page or a device so we can gauge the, you know, engagement. And with iOS 14 right now, it's much harder to do that, but with, you know, Google Tag Manager, so it's still very possible. So my guys are, you know, we're all, we're all just getting nerdy behind the, the, the ads, the ad structures. And, you know, sometimes we have to add some code to it, but really at the end of the day, it's like, identify your consumer. If we know your music works, let's saturate that particular market and let's put you in a position where you can somehow convert it into revenue. It could be through Patreon for some, you know, producers or whatever the case may be. There's different paths to, to everything, but it's like that um, strategy, I don't think, fails as long as the proper resources are in place, which includes the marketing budget, but also the people on, on, their, on the artist team, right? And I think when you can combine digital marketing with what we talked about, the street team marketing 
and having either an experience manager or even if not, just going to these different events and creating the connections, you know, it just puts you in a position to win. And I think communicate, you know, now that I've been able to work with major labels and, and, and independent artists with, with solid budgets, and I've seen in reality how we've taken something from nothing to position of revenue, and I've done that multiple times, it's easier explained to, to our clients. And if, if they don't believe it or it's too much for them, you know, it's some, as a, for me as a business, it's okay to say no as well, because we want to work with people that, you know, understand or have the right expectations set. But Man, there's so many things I could geek out on with you, you know, in terms of in terms of strategies. Like we have specific ways to scale Spotify without using the BS third-party playlist. I think that's a hot topic. You know, I think we said we would uh, talk about it as well. Like I pretty much stay away from using third-party playlists on Spotify. I'd rather have our artists, whether they're going through the accelerator or our clients, trigger the algorithmic um, playlist on Spotify through running ads, saturating that URL with the right people that were actually listen to it. And then that builds on itself. You just can't stop that marketing. You know, some of our clients that have like partnership with Sony Orchard or, you know, invite only distribution platforms, understanding how to put forward a, a marketing strategy. So that way when they release a single and we commit a budget to it, that distribution uh, platform or partnership actually does their job. And they hit up all the major editorial playlists on Spotify and Apple Music, or they hit up their connections at Netflix and HBO Go for sync licensing and all of that. So it's just understanding the resources. Once we understand what's available, what's on board, is it through a label, is it not, is, is it, you know, what's, what's available, we have to then set up the strategy. But, you know, our expertise is in the digital marketing uh, realm, I would say. Yeah, there's a ton of really, really good stuff in there. And, and one thing that popped to, to mind because I think that this is this is so important, and uh, this is another one of those like fundamental mindset, entrepreneurship mindset. But is around, it's sort of like the analogy I think of is like planting a seed or planting a seed for a tree, and you know, like having obviously you need to make sure that who you're working with you can trust. Because like you said, there are there are people that you can't trust, and people are just gonna get like you know fake views or, or you know, kind of uh, boost numbers, or even worse, like there's nothing at all. <laughs> like it's just literally just a complete scam. So you need to make sure that you're you're know, working with people that you trust. And the way you do that is just by, you know, doing what you normally would do, like do your research, due diligence, you know, find references, whatnot. But but then like having the patience or having the willingness to plant the seed and knowing that it's like as soon as you plant the seed, it's not like the next day it's gonna be this giant tree with fruits, right? Like you need to really there's a process to it. There's a process to planting the seed and then nurturing the seed and doing the right things over and over again. And if you keep doing the right things, then it, it blossoms and it turns into a tree and, and the fruits the fruits come. But it takes a certain amount of you know being able to see into the future and, and having, in a lot of cases, having a mentor, having guidance, having the faith that like if you keep doing the right things that the fruit the fruit is there. So I, yeah, I think that that's just a really valuable mindset that, that you shared there. You know, it is very difficult to tell a up and coming artists and their manager, if they haven't had much experience that man, like, you know, not in every case, but like nine times out of 10, it will take anywhere from 75 to $200,000 of investment. Doesn't just have to be on ads, but like whether you have to hire interns or hire uh, PR, you know, companies, whatever, to really an artist brand to a position where they can make all that back plus some, not in every case, right? And it also doesn't mean you have to do it in six months or four months. It could be a three to four year process. Right, you chip away at it, twenty-five thousand dollars a year. You divide it by months, it's two thousand dollars a month. Whether you split it between your team and your manager, but you know, 
having somebody like truly believe in how that could come together, it is difficult, right? Because there's been so much, so many dreams sold in the industry where people have, you know, paid other marketers $75,000, $100,000, nothing came out of it. So it, it's, it comes down to trust and just being transparent, having that past performance, you know, not taking advantage of anybody. And I think just for a company like mine and yours, it, it's, uh, I think, an advantage to be transparent. It may take longer, but I think that's how you build that brand. Just like an artist, if they stick with it, they have to grab the attention of the consumer and they will build that brand. They just have to continue to get in front of them over and over and over again and not give up because it's going to take mass amounts of numbers to really get to a point where you're making some, you know, financial benefit out of your craft. Mm. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really well put. And yeah, I think just transparency in, in general, in, in most cases is, is the right move, you know, when you're transparent, especially, yeah, especially when it comes to like setting expectations and knowing that like, you know, that this is a marathon, it's not necessarily like a, a quick fix kind of thing. Cool. You, one thing I want to kind of come back to, because you talked about it a little bit and my geek senses turned on for a second. I wanted to dig a little bit into it was when you're talking about pixel pixel data and how with iOS 14, you have to have been a little bit crafty in terms of maybe adding a little bit of custom code or using Google Tax Manager. So when you're talking about that, I've done like a little bit of research on on just like different you know tracking mechanisms that are, that are more effective than, than using the pixel. So what would you recommend for most people who maybe they aren't like tech tech savvy or super like geek when it comes to actually having accurate um, tracking now. And then what what do you guys do in terms of like, what do you recommend for like Google Tags Manager, maybe like server-side tracking or what, what do you guys recommend to really have like solid accurate tracking? Right, so I guess for the beginning artists, if they can at least master Facebook ads or even, you know, Google, YouTube ads mainly, put in the pixel in there create, you know, and put in the pixel in all your one pagers or like the landing pages, whether it's for a song or your website, whatever, at least have that in there. It'll give you a good enough idea. Like, you know, the, the iPhone users or people that are using iPhones that actually have agreed to enable the privacy feature in iOS 14, that depending on what genre you're in, that can make up anywhere between 35% to 60% of all your fans, but at least you're getting half the data. And what I remember from statistics, right? the larger pool of sample size you get, 50% of that giving you an accurate representation, you could sort of uh, project to what the other 50% is doing. So that's pretty decent, right? That's just for the beginner. Just do the basic thing that was taught, you know, like a year uh, a year ago before the iOS 14 happened. The, for the iOS 14, my guys are more of an expert at this than I am at this point. But yes, using the Google Tag Manager with uh, Google Analytics, on any landing pages that you're doing conversions on because it's really giving you the, the behavior of that user, how long they're st staying on it, where they're coming from. And, you know, you could anything that's not an Android device or a PC or, you know, whatever is going to be an iOS 14 device. So you'll still see that traffic. You're just blind to seeing exactly, you know, what device it's coming from, but we could just all, you know, assume that it's all, you know, it's going to be ma mainly iPhones, not as much, you know, iPads per se. And then we kind of just crunch our own data in Google Sheets, you know, and do the same projections we used to do. But there's there's different campaigns for every, right? There's the conversion campaigns. We have branding campaigns that just simply try to track the conversion of people like visiting your Instagram profile and then converting into followers, which is much easier. You don't really care where it's coming from because each profile visit is still tracked by Instagram itself. But yeah, on that more nerd, nerdier level, it's the URL parameters, 
correctly put together inside of a page that can is flexible to, to change with that code, whether it's toned in or click funnels or your own Shopify website or your own web, you know, web page builder to track it as properly as possible. You, you need to be able to embed those URL parameters in there from my understanding, you know, and then I've, we've even had a platform like what's it called? Hyros, you know, the print tracking, it does a better job because right now for any campaign we're running on Facebook that is uh, dealing with conversions, the, usually the numbers are either half, completely half off. They're either twice as many conversions or half as many, right? Which it's good when it's divisible that easily. It's much harder when it's, it's not as easy to kind of crack the code. But okay. I don't think it's going to affect, I don't know, it hasn't really affected our campaigns as much, except right now is the holiday season. So everything is going up in price, maybe by a factor of two or three, depending on which country you're targeting. But yeah, it's, I guess, for to battle that iOS 14 um, change, you have to become a little bit more of a coder as well, right? But really just basic HTML stuff to make sure it's tracked properly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It seems like that's almost like a, a benefit. It's interesting how this works. I mean, talking about entrepreneurship, right? But how sometimes the challenges or like the, the bad things that happen or things that, that like, for example, iOS 14 has actually kind of focused, at least for, for us, it's, it's focused has become smarter when it comes to the way that we track things. So it's actually even better than it was before iOS 14 because you know, we've had to get smarter about server-based tracking and like things on, that are more geeky and like and analytical. But, but I also think that there's probably a greater need for those types of tracking services. So I think that there's a lot of, you know, a lot of tools that are starting to integrate with Facebook's conversion API and doing things like on the back end. And it does seem just kind of like a game of cat and mouse, you know, with like Apple and, and Facebook and they're kind of going back and forth. And, and while we're geeking out, maybe we could talk a little bit just about your thoughts in general when it comes to like, I don't know, privacy or data collection. And what do you think is coming? Obviously, this is like a hot topic, especially with like Apple taking a pretty firm stand. They always have when it comes to like privacy and like not being tracked. I, I think that one thing that's pretty commonly overlooked is the personalization and like the relevancy that comes from being tracked and how it's actually a benefit for us. I, I personally would much rather not see any ads for tampons. <laughs> like I would rather see like ads for video games or for music or things that, that I care about, which happens if, if, you know, based on advertising, know, knowing more about me and what I'm interested in. Right. So there are kind of like pros and cons. And I think that it's easy to kind of not focus on some of the benefits that we get from that personalization, mm. but yeah, I, I'm kind of rambling, but I would love to hear your, your thoughts about just like data collection overall. And what do you think is like the, the right path moving forward? No, I mean, you touched on a lot of topics that I think about every day, especially from the world that I come from, from communism. And I'm mm. going to say why I relate those two things, because, you know, I don't know, I, you know, I'm definitely a capitalist in terms of loving, living in America and being, having all these opportunities and tracking is important for commerce and for business to understand their consumers better. The example he gave with like, you know, let's not give people, you know, ads with tampons or diapers that are not parents or not interested in that product for what, right? But then, you know, selling products is not the only thing that social media can do to our minds because once you start targeting, you know, the psychology archetypes or like the, the profiles of people, you can start changing ideologies and brainwash people right and you can especially younger audiences that haven't been through college you know college educated or when you know understand science or what to believe what not to believe 
the algorithms really do feed you the stuff that you like that promotes you being you know either happy or angry like you know we just found this out from facebook having that whistleblower right which could be very dangerous because i'm also a, a history nerd and when you think about what stalin and hitler and all of them did through their communication channels of, of their time through radio and uh, things like that they use propaganda and they brainwash people with certain messaging and that that's where i worry so you know, how do you battle that through social media? It's an interesting topic. I think what's going to happen is that, you know, we're sort of going to have like the public channels or the public side of Facebook, maybe like the your ABC channel where FCC is involved and you can't have shows that you're cussing on them or explicit, you know, viewership or nudity, things like that. And then you have your HBOs and your, your, your paid network where you can broadcast whatever the hell you want. So I'm, I'm not saying this is a prediction, but I, I wouldn't be surprised in five years we have the free and the premium. We already have premium like for YouTube, right? With ads being gone and things like that. So I think there's gonna be more of that, you know, happening. I, as a marketer, as a business owner, um, it does suck that they're making it more difficult with the privacy, but it's like, it's, it's difficult to regulate. It's, it's like a huge open topic. It's, uh, it's yet to be seen what's gonna happen in the next five to 10 years. We already know that, you know, Facebook proclaimed that basically, okay, if Congress, if you're gonna pick on us, telling us we can't self-govern and like, you know, use the algorithm the right way so we don't affect young minds and, you know, ideologies and what, whatnot, that we're just going to help you create regulation that affects all the, you know, social media mar marketing companies. So they're not treated as technology companies, but maybe now they're going to be treated as a media company, which now they're going to be like CNN or, you know, Fox News or just ABC, TBS, your, your regular networks. And again, what happened with that world? That's why HBOs and Netflix is popular and you have to pay for that. So I think it's up to the consumer. They're going to pay for that premium experience. And then for us as marketers or businesses or artists and producers, you have to decide, you know, where do you want to, like, how can you get people in the public realm the right way? You're going to have to have marketing and content design for that side of things. And then, you know, your original content that you want people to experience is going to have to be through these pay channels or, you know, through your private channels, like a Patreon account or whatever the case may be. Even now running ads, you can't run, explicit you know songs you can get away with it here and there but technically if you want to have your ad account in good standing you still got to clean up your content so it, i do think about it a lot i think we're in an interesting crossroads and the reason i created the accelerator one of my pet peeves about the united states like a good pet peeve is the education system that the universities are phenomenal and well-funded but the public education is not as great and that's where it worries me is that if we entrepreneurs don't also help educate the youth, the right way with the right information, what can social media do to them in a negative way? Because they're being pushed content that they that is maybe not true, but it's just being catered to them based on the algorithm. It doesn't have to be an ad that's being served to them. It's just simply the way the algorithm works. So I think we're living in very, very interesting times. And I just hope that, uh, you know, if I think, you know, me and you both teach this to all, all the people in our circle is like, educate yourself and better yourself. And I think if people become obsessed in a healthy way, of improving themselves and learning constantly, I think they're better prepared to battle the negative side effects of social media ads or, you know, the algorithms, if you want to call it that. And I think Apple is a, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world. Again, they're, they're a for-profit company. So them hiding the privacy information from Facebook, I'm wondering if that's a uh, competitive move. And I'm wondering if in a year from now, Next thing we know, oh, Apple ads, where did that come from? <laughs> and now you get to target people on Apple specifically.
Right. You, there's got to be at least some component to that, right? I mean, if even if it's not like a purely competitive move, at least in terms of branding or positioning for the future with like wearables and biotech, like certainly like when we're like talking about putting devices like in our bodies and like Neuralink, you know, brain interfaces, trust is so important in, in regulation. And so I, I think that there probably is a play that they're making in terms of just wanting to be established and branded as like the people who care most about your privacy that you can trust with it, which you know, might kind of come into it. Because I mean, yeah, certainly like like all these things would be amplified to another level if we're talking about brain interfaces that can you know interface with our thoughts. What, what do you but, think about NFTs, Michael, for, for art? Yeah, I think uh, NFTs, so recently one of my mentors and someone that i really respect he's like one of the most successful people i know really doubled down on nfts and, and told me like he, he was basically convinced that they're the biggest thing to happen in the music industry since the invention of the itunes store <laughs> so i've heard like the rumblings of, of nfts and that was really when i started to take them more seriously and kind of look into them so i, I think they're a huge opportunity um especially for musicians where historically like there hasn't been a good way to sell a song the same way that you would sell like uh the mona lisa you know for 800 million dollars you can buy the mona lisa but you can't buy let it be by the beatles for 800 million dollars you know so i think it's a really cool opportunity yeah i think i see it two ways like kind of what you're saying i see that nfts will definitely change the infrastructure of music for being able to track licensing copyrights and turning a song into like a tradable digital asset, kind of like a stock market. I think that's awesome because artists will be able to potentially fund their careers, kind of like, you know, doing a Kickstarter campaign and maybe having their artists invest into their NFT, which the, the consumers, the fans own like 40% of it. And if it properly tracks, now it has to be able to track Apple Music numbers, Spotify and all of that to reflect the revenue, you know, generation of that. I think that's awesome. This whole thing, like buying the NFT, maybe I'm too old, but like, owning a digital asset. Like I bought the Eminem NFT. I bought the, the, the weekend NFT. I bought the Tory Lanez album and all that. And I feel like they were like small attention bubbles. I lost money in all of them. Maybe if you would have, if I would have sold my Eminem NFT, the, the first three days it was out, I might've made like a hundred dollars on it. Now I definitely lost half. I bought like one of those like wiggling figures for $300 and now I can't even sell it 50. It was like $313. So I think that can NFT become like the MP3 or the new way to consume music? Sure, maybe in 10 years if the consumer adoption happens, but then it doesn't change anything to the artist. It's, it's gonna be the same thing like, you know, artists are like, oh, I gotta create an NFT because I'm gonna make money off it. I'm like, well, you put your songs on Spotify and Apple Music and you haven't, figured, you haven't even figured out how to get in, you know, people in front of that and monetize that yet. How do you think you're gonna monetize an NFT? You still gotta have fans. You still gotta get people yeah. who want your NFT, yeah. you know? Are there people out there in the underground, you know, NFT geek world that would just be like, oh, another great NFT. I love the image. Let me just support you and buy it. Sure. But in the long run, they should be your, you know, they got to be your fans if you want to capitalize on a NFT version of your song. Because otherwise they're going to just grab it on Spotify. You know, what happened with Tory Lanez NFT? Okay, he sold a million copies. It was great for him. It was great for the platform E-NFT, which I believe is owned by Flowrider. And there was a way for them to advertise that platform by bringing Tory Lane's brand on there. But at the end of the day, that album got leaked. It's all over SoundCloud and YouTube. So for the consumer, why I have to go to a website where I have to figure out how to sign up, how to consume this file through a browser, which is all clunky and is not there yet. 
as opposed to going to your SoundCloud app, which you've been using for the last decade, you know how to use SoundCloud or YouTube and still find it, right? So to me, it's always the consumer adoption. It's like, why are artists able to benefit from being on Spotify and Apple Music? Well, because that's where the fans go. Mm. And these companies have spent billions on the artist's behalf to make it the thing to use. Mm. You know, like why do most consumers either have Spotify, Apple Music or Amazon Music? Because they're, except Spotify, they're, that's the only thing they do. But, you know, Amazon and Apple, they're damn near, you know, trillion dollar companies. And they're just having fun with it. Like the Apple Music platform and the Amazon MP3 platform, that's like just a fun project almost. And they can put as much money as they want into it and gather more and more consumers, you know, but that's what I think artists have to think about. It's like, okay, it doesn't matter if it's an NFT, an MP3, a WAV file, a FLAC file, MP4 file in the private, you know, your own little monthly platform that you charge for whatever it is. It's like, do you have the fans that are interested in buying what you're selling? But, you know, I think the infrastructure standpoint is huge. It's, it's here to stay. And I'm excited for the infrastructure side of it. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think, I mean, it's such a trendy, like, thing that's happening right now. And it's some of the, like, the, if you look at how, like, ridiculous some of the NFT prices are for, like, crypto punks and things like that, it's just, it's mind-boggling. But, yeah, I, I think you're right that, one, like, it doesn't replace the fundamental, you know, parts of having a successful business, needing an audience, like, needing people actually to have demand for your NFTs. Just because you have the NFT doesn't mean that, you know, people are going to, like, you know, buy this. And, and I think that they still need to kind of find their place too. I don't, I don't think that someone's like, when it comes to like streaming your song or streaming your music, then yeah, those platforms, like that's going to be where people go to stream. Like NFTs, like, you know, I don't think there's going to be a marketplace. I mean, maybe I could be wrong, but I, I don't think that there's going to be a new marketplace that, you know, uses like streaming NFTs as like the new way to you know, sort of monetize like streaming. What I do think that and I, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Like this, so it's such an early, it's like the wild west kind of, but, but I do think there's sort of a bubble around it. It's sort of like the internet, you know, there's an internet bubble and the internet, obviously it was like, you know, huge game changing everything, but there's also a big bubble around it and it popped. And I think there's a lot of hype around NFTs and, you know, so you're kind of managing ups and downs that go with people's expectations. But, but I do think that, that the same for, for me, like the, a question that's hard for me to kind of grab my mind around, grapple with my mind, around, it was like, why would someone spend this much money for just this digital, like, especially like an NFT of a song, you know, that's just like, you could just stream the song. Like, oh, why, like, what is it about owning this NFT? Why would you spend hundreds of thousands or even like millions of dollars to own something like this? And yeah, and then I kind of got thinking about it, and I, I think the best analogy for me to help me kind of understand it is thinking about people who buy really expensive artwork. You know, like I, I'm not that person who buys a hundred million dollar pieces of artwork or you know eight eight hundred million dollar pieces of artwork. But you know, there's people that just they're on another level. They just have so much money that you know, like they will invest in pieces of artwork just for I don't know ownership, ownership status. You know, to be able to showcase Dragon it. Rights. Yeah, bragging bragging rights. rights. The same people that remember when they sold those like ten thousand dollar gold iPhone cases and like Paris Hilton had one and whatever. It's like who the hell would buy a ten thousand? Like you know, saying the thing is worth there's four hundred times more than your phone. Why would you buy? I feel like, but again, you know, maybe what I love seeing is how evolution of these different products happen because I wonder what the kids in high school think. Like the seven, you know, when I was seventeen, when I was on the, you know forefront of like I, I used to be really big in the street racing or like you know selling cds like i had the i used to build computers i was very passionate about that i had the first cd burner 
then the, you know the, I always try to get the best CD burner possible. Then put the MP3s on the on the DVD disc, all that. Some of these technologies sort of faded off. Some changed the industry, like the MP3 completely revolutionized it. You know, so it's like I think you have to sort of look at what is the 17 year old thinking today, because they're the artist consumer for the next 10 years, and they're going to be the market that determines how this is consumed, right? But I'm with you. I think certain generations are just never going to understand how a digital piece of anything where it could be easily copied and you can just get it on Google images. How well would you pay a million dollars for that? Like that guy that bought, uh, what's his name? Jack Dorsey's first tweet. It's like, because you gotta be that rich. So when you walk into his house and he's got the hundred inch, you know, a flat screen TV, he's like, see that? That's, I bought that, that's mine. And there's the hex code that represents that I own an original thing. Okay, great, right. buddy. You know? <laughs> right, yeah, for, for sure. Bragging, right, he had the money to do it. So it's very interesting. What I'm excited about is the, sort of metaverse thing because again to me i'm not big into like playing video games or things like that but certainly millions of kids are and it's even affecting nfl numbers like it's been shown that nfl like super bowl time consumption has been fading off off even though they track streaming of it and like you know through platforms and i'm like well where's that attention going it's going into video games right there's kids now that would rather watch a gamer on twitch play nfl with his own dream team as opposed to watch a real NFL game. So I think the NFTs are going like, you know, if you have these virtual goggles on and you have this like new trendy Kanye West virtual digital jacket, even as crazy as it sounds, people will one way or another pay money for it because it's going to make them feel happy. Mm -hmm. it, I think it's a, in my opinion, it's sort of a sad world that we may be leading towards that people are going to be stuck in these virtual worlds. That's just my opinion, but it's like, you know, if you're in business, do you adapt to it? Or maybe, you know, as a business person, you can, or artist, you can take the other side. And I bet you in 20 years, artists that take the, the, the side of just, I'm a real human being, come interact with me in person. They're going to have their own niche, you know, and there's going to be artists that are going to be completely virtual. Like there's AI that's making songs already. They're putting it on Spotify. You know, that, that's another thing I think, I think just like there's a, you know, a movie character or like a Grand Theft Auto character in the game. I also think in 15 years, there may be a completely digitally created artist. And it's going to be one of the biggest digital artists out there. And it's not a real human being. It's, it's you know, somebody's pulling the string. Somebody's coding that. Somebody's creating that experience. But there may be fans of that. It's, it's crazy to think, but I think we're headed that way. Yeah, yeah dude, I, I think you're right. I mean, with artificial intelligence and I mean, this is really timely. Right now, I'm reading The Age of Spiritual Machines by Ray Kurzweil. And yeah, he's a big, big, I mean, it's an awesome book. I think he wrote it like 1999 and he's like talking about 2020 and like how the world's going to change. And it's pretty fascinating, like seeing the predictions that he made and how, I mean, the majority of them are actually true. And in some cases they're like close to being true, but they're like not quite there, but it's remarkable that he, you kind of had the foresight to, to predict some, some of these things. And he also makes some predictions for the next 10, 20 years. And he has a book called The Singularity is Near. That's about, you know, all this, this kind of stuff and, and AI and, and the exponential, you know, growth of information based technologies and really fascinating. And yeah, I think one of the points that he made was about art in general and, and how like, um, intelligence you know, like that that's really like one of the the, the mind-boggling things is like what is intelligence right like what is i mean we have like human human intelligence and you know you could go into like you know what is consciousness overall like maybe that's there's another word for intelligence but then specifically 
with machines, there's artificial intelligence, right? And right now, and for a long time, artificial intelligence has been kind of very artificial, been very, I don't know, it's it's robotic, but also it, it lacks a certain aspect of human intelligence, which human intelligence kind of gives it its intelligence, you know, like, like why we're able to communicate with each other and have you know, feelings and emotions. And, and his point is that, you know, in the next 30 to 50 years that artificial intelligence is probably going to reach a point where they've been able to, you know, reconstruct the human brain to a point where machines can emulate human intelligence to, to a point where it's indistinguishable, that, that it's going to feel like they have consciousness or have awareness. And who are we to say that they don't you know that we're not just kind of really complex machines you know, we could totally go down like a big rabbit hole here and geek out about you know is there an immaterial soul or is there something that, but man I, I think that we're gonna have to take a rain check and hopefully uh, continue the conversation at some point because this is super super fun stuff to to talk about i'm down yeah, absolutely but yeah th thank you for having me on i think you know artists have awesome things to look forward to and just don't give up because there's gonna be more and more artists it's probably the most one of the most saturated industries I've ever been in, but the thing is also in 2021 and beyond, it's never been easier to do it the right way. I feel like, and just you know, my advice for artists is realize that we're in the attention economy, so you have to figure out how to grab your fans' attention. Because if you don't figure it out, somebody else is going to do it. Whether you're you know sad or angry about the fact oh, I'm talented but nobody wants to hear me, well, you got to figure out how to have them hear you. Somebody else will figure it out that's just as talented as you are, you know. But I think it's an exciting time. I, I love, you know, living in in this day and age. Absolutely. Cool, man. Well, yeah, I super appreciate you coming on here and, and sharing some of the lessons that, that you've learned. And uh, anytime I get to geek out of a conversation like this is a, is a win for sure. So for anyone who is listening or watching this right now who would like to connect more, could you talk a little bit about, I know you have like Indie Arts Accelerator, and then I know you also work with like a limited limited number of uh, clients directly as well. So could you share what, what's like the next step for someone if they want to connect more with you? I would say uh, go to digitalsciencemedia.com or follow me on uh, Instagram, which is Matei underscore H underscore entrepreneur. Matei is spelled M-A-T-E-J. And if you DM me, either me or my assistant will catch the message, depending on how you approach me. We can figure out if we can help you one way or another. But digitalsciencemedia.com has all the information, all of our services, the NDRs, accelerators there as well, if somebody wants to join. And yeah, that's probably the best two ways. I don't want to overcomplicate it. I feel like my name's already complicated enough so it's not as easy to find me, but if you just type in M-A-T-E-J on Instagram, I should pop up. Awesome. Yep. And what we'll do too is like normal, we'll include all the links in the show notes. So if anyone uh, just clicks in the description, they'll be able to find all the links and have easy access. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, man. This has been a lot of fun. Definitely, Michael. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's going to help us reach more musicians like you who want to take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.